0: Okay, let's start off with everyone's favorite, uh, which is a pop quiz. If I told you last year that millennial moms spent $232 million on something, what would you guess that it was? Now, full disclosure, when I first read that, uh, my first guess was, you know what, Starbucks. Amen? I would have totally thought that was Starbucks. But the answer is actually books on parenting. And on top of that, $232 million for the books, they spent an additional $141 million downloading parenting apps on their phone, $373 million on parenting resources. Now, with the explosion of parenting resources, you would think, hey, that's super helpful that I think back when my parents were parenting in those formative years or so little resources, some of you even less. And so you think that's helpful with all these resources, techniques, theories, Uh, things to avail yourself to. However, with the explosion of resources, I actually think it's gotten confusing. It's overwhelming of all the people trying to speak into the parenting arena and get products and resources out there. And so it's just become totally overwhelming. I mean, listen to some of these titles. I went and Googled the top uh, books on parenting from Amazon and pulled some titles from their top 25 lists of bestsellers on parenting. Listen to some of these titles. Overwhelming hundred and one things every boy needs to know. hundred and one? Come on. That's a long checklist, am I right? That's a lot. How about this? Fifty-two modern manners for kids. How about don't pick your nose? Can we just go with that? It's a lot to keep up with. Moms with Babies, be encouraged by this title. It's one of the bestsellers. Twelve hours of sleep by 12 weeks old. Can we disagree who wrote that book? Not going to heaven. Not going to be there. Actually, only one of them had a title that was uh, clear and simple and actually felt was uh, so simple that it was helpful, and so it was titled, Oh Crap, Potty Training. I like that. <laughs> I can get down with that, right? I know what you're talking about. That's helpful, not confusing at all, right? Now, if you don't believe me, that's a real book. Google it. It's on there. And so, uh, with the uh, thing that was uh, fascinating was to discover all these titles, but here's what discouraging. In all the top 25 best-selling books on Parent and Amazon, not a single bestseller on that list was from a Christian perspective. Every single one of them was about how to conform a child's behavior. None of them were about how to transform a child's heart, which in turn is what drives their behavior. And so what I'm telling you is there's a lot of resources being sold that quite frankly aren't even that helpful because they're not dealing with the source. They're just dealing with the problem so many times. And so uh, if you're overwhelmed with all that information out there, here's the good news. We're going to continue our hope series today with a message titled uh, Hope for an Overwhelmed Heart. We're going to talk about parenting. okay So uh, in most of these messages, we've had some key texts that I want to anchor on. I want you to know where they're at so you can go there and meditate on these truths so you can disciple other people. And so when it comes to parenting, if I'm discipling someone in the area of parenting, uh, I'm usually going to go uh, early on to one of three foundational passages. Number one, I'm going to take them to Ephesians 6, which is where we'll be today in the scriptures if you want to turn there. Uh, Secondly, I'm also probably at some point going to take them to Deuteronomy chapter 6. And then I'm going to sprinkle in liberal doses of the book of Proverbs and all the wisdom that Proverbs contains as it relates to parenting because it is absolutely overwhelming. So for the sake of our time today, we're just going to spend all of our time in Ephesians chapter 6. Now let me also say a word of uh, instruction to those of you who have raised your kids. Your kids are out of the house. Uh, You may think, hey, I've raised my kids. This isn't relevant to me. Let me remind you, you have a biblical responsibility to disciple other people coming behind you. And so, you need to get a hold of this stuff so you can pass these truths down, so you can live it out if you're still in those parenting formative years and you're feeling a little bit uh, overwhelmed. So, here's the deal. The Bible's not an exhaustive book on parenting, but it provides the principles to build the foundation of parenting upon, and so that's what we want to look at today. So, let's start in Ephesians chapter 6, we're just going to read verses 1 through 4. Ephesians 6, 1 says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right, Honor your father and mother, this is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This week I was thinking about parenting, and and reality is most people when it comes to parenting, they draw their parenting model or paradigm for one of three uh, sources. Sometimes they draw their parenting cues from just whatever they saw modeled. Good and bad. My parents did some things. You may think that, hey, these are really good. They're helpful. They're encouraging. So I want to model that when I'm raising my kids. Sometimes we uh, pick up their bad habits, you know, critical speech or yelling or whatever the case is. And so sometimes you model some of that. So one source or paradigm of parenting is whatever you've seen modeled, good and bad. The second uh, is wisdom from the world. It's the top 25 list on Amazon that has no reference to Scripture or God's principles on pairing. It's rooted in humanistic psychology, behavior, uh, conformity, all those things. And so uh, let me just give you a little uh, snapshot of the humanistic wisdom of the world. Remember the self-esteem movement? That's the, the, what birth a self-esteem movement is everybody gets a trophy, all that kind of stuff. Pastor Connie just told me this morning. Uh, there's actually a school out west where they've dropped all graduation requirements because they don't want anybody to feel bad if they didn't meet the requirements. Uh, that was all, that's all born out of the self-esteem movement. Here's what's fascinating. The Bible never tells us to uh, raise our self-esteem. Matter of fact, the Bible says we esteem ourselves too highly. Scripture says to deny yourself, take up your cross if you want to follow Jesus. And so that's parenting that's rooted in humanistic psychology. Or the third uh, is biblical wisdom. And so what I'm going to argue today and hopefully show you today uh, is that you can find more wisdom on parenting, more truth on parenting in a $20 paperback copy of the Bible than all $373 million spent last year on parenting apps and books. And so let's lay the foundation right from Scripture. And I want to share two Truthfully, this morning, the first one is simply this, is the parents, you should expect your children to honor and obey. In case this is not clear, a hope, an expectation is not the same thing. Hope is not a strategy. I, I hope my kids honor me. I hope my kids obey me in uh, those things. And so the reality is, uh, he says, no, this shouldn't be a hope or a wish for. I hope it turns out this way. He says, this should be an expectation that as a parent, what I'm expecting from my children, according to Ephesians 6, is that children would honor and obey those parents. Now, before we dig into those truths and what does that mean and what does that look like, uh, let me help you set a little context because we're coming in on the end of the book of Ephesians, and you don't fully understand what's being taught here until you understand the context of all these truths flow out of, all right? So if you're listening, say amen. amen. This passage, or this thought, actually starts back in chapter 5, verse 18, when there's a call to a spirit-filled life, or to live under the control of the Holy Spirit. That, that's where this section starts in thought, is in Ephesians five eighteen, And then... Beginning in verse 19, all the way down to chapter 6, verse 9, he says, this is what the spirit-filled life looks like. Okay? So in verse 18 in chapter 5, he says, hey, live by the spirit, be spirit-filled, be filled with the spirit. And then he says, what does that look like? He says in verse 19, it means you have a a heart of worship. In verse 20 in chapter 5, he says, you have a heart filled with gratitude. And then, beginning in verse 21, he talks about everyone's favorite subject uh, in the Bible, submission. And he begins to teach about the spirit-filled life will result in a life of submission to God's ordained structures of authority. And then he goes into the arenas in which that spirit-filled submission plays out. And so he talks about uh, husbands submitting themselves to the Lord and wives submitting themselves to the husbands. Uh, That's chapter 5, verses 25, down through verse 33. And then he goes into parents in chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. And then he goes to employers and employees, uh, chapter 6, verses 5 through 9. But all of that instruction... Starts off with a call to spirit-filled living, and spirit-filled living will result in a, uh, recognizing God's ordained authority and submission, and then it plays out in all these contexts, and not the least of them is in the realm of parenting. Now, why is that important? Because listen, in God's good design, mom and dad, he has placed you in a position of authority in your home. That's exactly the foundation he's laying out here uh, in the passage. And and the reality is that we don't understand this spirit-filled life. This is never going to happen. You know why? Because left to the flesh, you and I and your children do not like to be told what to do. What's often a baby's first word? No. Right? Why? Because they're little sinners. Don't get fooled. Right? I don't care how cute they are. They're little sinners. They're hardwired to say, no, I know better. I don't want to be told what to do. And so he says, this is not the way that God has ordained it. And so when we think about this idea of, of helping to live spirit-filled as parents and then cultivating that same expectation, our children, so they can live out these principles, uh, here's what that looks like practically, all right? Everybody listen. That means that your job as a parent is to work as hard as you can to cultivate a heart that loves Jesus as opposed to conforming behavior. Listen, you can teach a dog to obey. A dog obeys their master. A cat obeys its master, the devil. Amen? (laughs) But we're not raising cats and dogs, parenting children for the glory of God. And so it's less than gospel standard to just want, go after uh, behavior conformity. Uh, what we're looking to do is cultivate a heart to love God. Here's why this is so important, all right? Because if you just, uh, through fear or through intimidation, or I'm in charge, I'm going to place this thing, and just focus on behavior, 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 guess what? That will work as long as you're in the room. And once you're gone and the consequences are gone, if that child doesn't have a heart that wants to live for the glory of God and, and live to please the Lord, then guess what? They'll go right back to where their sinful hearts are pointed to, which is sin. And so this is all the spirit-filled life, Ephesians 5:18, it all flows out what it looks like, verse 19, verse 20, verse 21, and submission, and then this is how it plays out in the context of parenting. Uh, So that's the context of all this. And so in the spirit-filled family dynamic, what he says in in chapter six, uh, verse one, is that parents, you should have some expectations on your children, and so as a result of that, why? Because God's placed you as his agent of authority in that home. And what are those expectations? You don't have to wonder. He tells you right here in the text, these expectations are they would honor and obey. Do you know what that means? Listen, parents, your primary job is not to be your kid's best friend. And I hope your kids love you and want to be around you and uh, will share things with you and you'd have fun together, all those things. But ultimately, they're going to have lots of friends. But God's only ordained them to have you as a parent. And so he says, hey, listen, your primary job is to uphold and embrace this mantle of authority in their lives. Because this is God's good design. Matter of fact, I love how he ends. You see the words he uses to end verse 1? What does he say at the end of verse 1 when he talks about this spirit-filled, God-ordained structure? What's the three words he uses to describe it? He says, hey, this is right. This is God's design. And what we teach is this. That when we pursue God's design for any area of our lives, fill in the any area, it leads to human flourishing, and to depart from God's good design in any area leads to brokenness. So he said, you want your family to flourish? He said, this is right. This is God's good design. Parents in authority with expectations that their children would honor and obey. This is God's org chart, if you will, if you like org charts, all right? And so, uh, listen, let me tell you why this is important. Parents, if your children don't learn, you don't model and expect to submit to your authority, guess what? When they go out through life, they have a hard time submitting to the Lord's authority in their life as well. They have a hard time submitting to the authority of the laws of culture around us. They have a hard time submitting to the authority of a boss. And so God says, hey, the training for the God-ordained authority and submission that the world is ordered around starts off modeled in the home and expected by parents. This is right, what he says there at the end of verse 1. Now, what happens? If you say, well, I don't know if I like that. I, I, I mean, that's like some of that, but I, I got some other stuff I've read, you know, over here and blah, 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 these sorts of those kind of things, and, and I'm going to kind of those, you know, uh, just all that stuff and, and uh, kind of mingle that all together and, and those realities is how we're going to uh, do that. And so, listen, what he's saying is you, you're, you're abdicating God's authority. And so when it doesn't turn out right, you, you shouldn't be expected because it apart from God's good design leads to uh, brokenness. And so what does that mean? That means this. Parents. Some of you may need to go home in a very gentle, humble way, say, hey, we all heard the word of God taught today. Some of you may go go home and demote your kids, move them out of the corner office and take up resident as the new CEO in your house, because the scripture says, this is right. That's what he says, this is right. And so to depart from God's plan, uh, so first off, he addresses the authority and submission of the parent-child relationship, and there's expectations as the one who God's placed into an age of authority. And then he says, here are these expectations uh, in verse 1. He says we should expect uh, obedience. And then in verse 2, uh, we should expect honor. Now, we talked a few weeks ago that often uh, mercy and grace are used like the same thing, just interchangeable, and they're actually they're not. We talked about bitterness and anger being used as if they're interchangeable, they're not. And so honor and obeying are not the same thing. Let me break down these words a little bit. The word obey, literally, in the Greek language, it literally means to stand under. It means to stand under another's uh, authority. It is used oftentimes in Scripture uh, as a military term. It's the idea of a soldier obeying or falling in the rank, the person who's above them, uh, in the authority structure. And so that's that's the word picture he's painting here. Now, not a drill sergeant. Right? We'll talk about the danger of that here in just a little bit. He's saying, just recognizing that God has an order of authority, an org chart, and this is how the org chart works, and this is why we should expect obedience. Someone very wise and astute said this. In America, we aren't as progressive as we think we are, because one of the first things you notice about any backward third world country is that children obey their parents. We're on a mission trip? You know what you learn about those kids? They got no resource. They got no. They're destitute. They're in poverty. You know what they don't do? They don't talk back to their parents. And so he says, "Hey, this is right. I place an authority, and those expectations that come with your authority is that your children uh, would obey you." Verse one. But secondly, uh, he says children should uh, honor. We should expect them to honor us as parents. The word honor here in Ephesians references the fifth commandment, and the Hebrew word for honor in the Old Testament it literally means to weigh. Or to make heavy. What does that mean? What that means is that when a in God's ordained structure in a spirit-filled home, what that means is a parent would, would in their child's eyes, their children would look at them and say, Hey, your influence, your counsel, your leadership, it carries weight with me. It's important. I'm gonna honor it because I see the weight of what you're doing, and I recognize that God has placed you uh, in that point. Now, I love what he (laughs) said. <laughs> there and he says uh, he says honor your father and mother if we got in verse three because you'll live a long life. And so uh, I think what it says in the original language, I can't prove this this because if you don't, your mom and dad that brought you in the world, they'll take you out of this world, praise God. <laughs> right? The word honor means to show esteem and respect to a person of distinction. And so let me make this as simple as I can because that's my job. To obey is to do what you're told. To honor is to do it with the right attitude. And you said, I've never seen a child obey but not honor. Let me just tell you something. You've never raised a teenager, Amen. I'll do what you're saying, but the whole time mut- mutter, roll my eyes, those kind of things. Or what does it look like to honor but not obey? It's when you say, hey, I expect this, and they honor you with their lips and say, hey, no problem, no problem. And as soon as you turn your back, they do whatever they want to do. So it's not the same thing. To obey is to do what you're told to honor is to do it with the right attitude. And he says, parents, in their God-ordained structure, you should expect these from your children. Now, as a little side note, uh, this is an expectation, not a negotiation. Don't negotiate with children, uh, terrorists or children impersonating one. (laughs) Second side note, I just got to share this. I just, I don't, I got to get it out. Counting is a form of negotiation. Last week, Tosh and I were out of state for a few days. It was a conference conference. And we're waiting outside to eat. This restaurant is waiting. So we said, hey, well, I'll just wait outside. Tasha, I'll wait inside. So they call our name. And so we're outside, and people are sitting in rocking chairs. Now, it's not Cracker Barrel, although the Lord would have been well pleased if it was. I just want to share that, all right? And we're out there. I'm in the rocking chair. Tasha and and girls are in the inside waiting for our name to be called. And there, sitting next to me in the rocking chair, is a mom and a dad and a little girl who could not have been more than three or four years old, and she could not have been any cuter. So I'm watching this interaction, you know, I think as your kids get older, you, you just realize like, oh, those days are, good. so you just kind of watch and, you know, appreciate what's going on there, but, uh, but it didn't stop there, because she's sitting in her mom's lap, which is closest to me, and she sits and leans over the edge of her rocking chair, gets as close to me as she can, and she says, hey, my name is, fill in the blank, what's your name? I, and like, I mean, listen, you, for a moment, I was deceived, I thought, this is not a little sinner, right? But I was reminded that in fact she was, because she got down from her parents' lap and she went down to the landscape in front of us and she reached down and picked up two handfuls of rocks. Now, I'm going to let you know a little secret about pastors, and this is shady, but this, it's just how God's made me. When I'm watching you and you and I are having conversations, all I'm doing is collecting future illustrations, alright? I just want to share that with you. Do you ever see me looking at you? I'm like, uh-huh, I'm going to talk about that one week, right? So I'm watching, and this is what happens. She picks up these rocks, turns out and looks at her parents, and this is what happens. Her dad says, one, and I go on high alert because, one, I want to see, is she in fact a little sinner? I think she is, and I want to, right. I want to see how this plays out. But then, two, I just want to be sensitive to the Lord in that moment. I think, Lord, I'm praying right then, Lord, if you want me to be a surrogate spanker for the glory of God, I'll do it. <laughs> I'll get, I'll wear her out for, listen, Lord, I'm here, I'm available, send me, Lord, right? And so I'm watching, and you know what's happening? My dad's counting, you know what she's doing? She's looking right at him, smiling. You know why she's smiling? Because she knows in her little three and four-year-old wicked, depraved heart, she knows. In that moment, she's in charge. She gets to decide what obedience looks like. She gets to decide. And you know what that parent innocently was modeling? What they're modeling is saying, hey, listen, you can hang on to disobedience as long as you want, get the thrill from it, get the excitement from it, and you can let go anytime you want. Folks, that is not what we want to model for our kids. I was snapped out of this whole scene. They called me. And so I got up. I pushed her down for the glory of God, walked (laughs) inside. Amen? (laughs) Jesus knows my heart. I'm here to help. And so, listen, he says, hey, this is right, parents, you should have some expectations because you're in a position of authority, and what you expect is they would honor and obey you, not either or, both and, this is right, uh, this is God's ordained structure which leads to human flourishing in your family. The second truth I want you to see, though, uh, is this, you should embrace the responsibility attached to your authority. This weekend, we had a women's all-campus conference. Had over 100 women signed up. There was a simulcast with the author and teacher, Jackie Perry. Some of you went to that. It was a great night. And, uh, but, but anytime there's a simulcast, like we're nervous, what if the technology fails, those kind of things. Could you imagine if I was in charge tonight, would have got up and said, hey, bad news, the simulcast doesn't work. But here's good news. Uh, Pastor Brad's here, and he's going to teach live, and he's chosen to teach on Ephesians 5, women submit to your husbands. Now... That's true in the Bible. We preach it. We preach everything in the text, right? But I would venture to say that there would not be as many as women return on Saturday morning as there were on Friday night. Why? Because if we're honest, in our prideful flesh, we, we, the word submission has a negative connotation when it comes to context of marriage. Now, I've got some theories on that, and that's all they are. I think here's why. I think often that uh, headship in the home and and wives submitting to their husband I think it's been mistaught and misapplied in the context of marriage. And so as a result of that, there's just kind of a negative uh, connotation about that. So, as I've counseled couples over the years, and we talk, what does this look like, and how does this play out? Uh, one of the phrases I've told to husbands over the years uh, is this phrase right here. Headship is a responsibility to uphold, not a right to demand. Headship is a responsibility to uphold and not a right to demand. And listen, the same thing is true in parenting. Now, here's what's interesting. We know he's talking to both parents because he starts off in verse 1, uh, parents. But then he says uh, this, all these teachings apply to both parents, but I want to especially make sure that dads are getting this in verse 4 because he says uh, fathers in verse 4. Now, why does he do that? Because fathers have a leading responsibility in raising children. There's a, this is a natural extension of headship in marriage that was taught in verses 25 through 33, and it spills all the way down to chapter 6, verse 1. Now, uh, he, he could not be more plain. He says, in your authority, there's some responsibilities you have to embrace because it's not just a right to, to the man, I'm in charge, we do what I say in this house, all, you know, all that stuff. He says, hey, here's one thing you cannot, should not do, if you're going to embrace this responsibility wisely, and here are two things you have to do, and so let's look at what he says. Let's let the text inform our parenting, all right? So the first thing, the behavior to avoid, is do not provoke your children to anger. There's a parallel verse in Colossians three twenty one which says, fathers, Do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Now, we read that, we're like, that's good, that's helpful. Listen, we have no idea, apart from the context of how radical of a statement that was in Roman culture. In Roman culture, fathers had absolute authority, unquestioned authority over their family. They ruled with an iron fist. Listen to this. When a baby was born into a Roman family, they would take the baby, and they would lay it at the father's feet. If the father picked it up, that means he accepted that baby into their family. But if he chose not, for whatever reason, to not pick it up, that meant that child was rejected. And so legally at that point, uh, that child could be uh, given away. It could be left to die by exposure. Uh, It could be sold. The father could legally kill his own child if he wanted to and not be prosecuted as a crime. So it's against the backdrop of that culture. That Paul says, no, this is what gospel-centered living looks like. This may be what culture says is okay, but what the Lord expects is that parents would uh, parents particularly fathers, in such a way that they do not incite wrath in their children through their uh, parenting. Now, I want to be as helpful as I can, all right? So if you're listening, say amen. Two weeks ago, we taught on bitterness. And what we said is bitterness is a root, not a fruit, that it takes root in our heart, Hebrews twelve fifteen talks about. And the, the warning signs or the fruit of bitterness taking root in our heart. Uh, we looked at two things from scripture two weeks ago. We talked about critical speech. Okay, that's the fruit of a root of bitterness. But also uh, we talked about sinful anger being the fruit of a root of bitterness. So what does that mean? So if the fact is this, is that anger is a fruit and not a root, and a parent or a father here is said, hey, do not incite or parent in such a way that leads to that rotten fruit of anger, really what he's saying, if we understand it biblically, is listen, parents, fathers, do not parent in such a way that there will give an occasion for bitterness to take root in the heart of your child, okay? So if you're still listening, say amen. Here's what that means. What did we learn about bitterness? Where does it come from? It comes from unresolved, hurt and resentment. That's how the root of bitterness. Bitterness is harbored, hurt hidden in our hearts. So what does he mean when he says this? Actually, understand this. biblically. biblical. Here's what he's saying. Dads, just because you're in charge, you get to do what you want, say you want, I'm in charge in this house, blah, 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 blah. He says, listen, let me tell you a thing you shouldn't do. You shouldn't parent so harshly that your words and your actions cause hurt and resentment because unresolved hurt and resentment leads to a root of bitterness, and a root of bitterness will show up in anger, and fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. So what he's really saying is, fathers, you may be in charge, but you better lead in such a way that it's not harsh because if you do, you will give an occasion for Forbiddenness and that will incite your children to wrath. That's what that means. That's how that works. Now, so when we talk about inciting, and you say, Well, listen, I just that's what my dad did to me, and that's how I turned out okay. Blah blah blah. Listen, let me just say, if that's your parenting style, you didn't learn that from the Bible. You know who you learned that from? Archie Bunker. (laughs) If you don't too young to know who that is, Google it, it'll change your life. Am I right? But we don't take our cues from all in the family or Dr. Spock or, listen, we take our cues from the word of God because we believe it's sufficient for all things pertaining to life and God in 2 Peter chapter one, verse three. And so that's how we intentionally provoke our children to anger, but then also we can do it unintentionally. One of the best books of anger I've talked about this book before, In the Heart of a Child. is was written by a biblical counselor named Lou Priolo. And the title of the book is Heart of Anger. And in that book, what I think may be the best part of the whole book is he said, hey, here's a list of 25 ways we unknowingly and unintentionally provoke anger in our children. That list is gold. So you can do it intentionally by being harsh, producing resentment and hurt, but unintentionally you can do it as well. So for the sake of time, let me just rattle off a few from this list. Uh, number one, lack of marital harmony. Remember we talked about bitterness, that when bitterness left unchecked, remember what the end of that text says, and many become defiled because of it? Parents, if your conflict in your marriage is so on display and there's so much bitterness that has taken root in your hearts, listen, do not be naive in thinking that only affects you. Your children will become defiled by your bitterness because the scripture says in bitterness, many will become defiled because of it. Your children will become defiled by your own Bitterness. The resentment they see you have modeling for each other will spill out into their lives as well. Listen, the best thing you can do for your kids is not take them to Disney World, not take them to King's Island, not take them to Skyline or those places, although that's all for the glory of God. The best thing you can do for your kids is model a marriage that glorifies Jesus Christ. Second thing you should do, not do, habitually disciplining by angry. Now, can we just be... Honest for a minute, it feels good when you do, amen? That little sinner starts firing off, you just snatch them up, wear them out, right? But can we also agree it's not for the glory of God, it's to satisfy your own sinful flesh because it feels good to inflict pain on someone who's inflicting discomfort and annoying on you. Listen, Scripture says that God disciplined or scourges in the King James, in Hebrews, every son whom he receives. So listen, the Bible says in the book of Proverbs, he who does not discipline or correct his son hates his son. Why? Because you leave him over to foolishness is what happens. You'll destroy his life. But the whole purpose is redemptive, uh, not, not punitive. And the most often way we discipline in a way that's not for the glory of God, that's out of our own sinful flesh, is when we are angry. Listen, uh, on more than one occasion, I've got a 22-year-old, a 20-year-old, a 16-year-old, a 12-year-old. Listen, on more than one occasion, I've literally had to get down their height and say, hey, I sinned against you, I was angry, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? Humiliating, inappropriate. My oldest kind of spitfire sometimes, she said, no, I don't forgive you. I said, turn around, I'm going to spank you again, right? (laughs) I talked through how we discipline our kids, we thought, I just won't get all that, but listen, don't discipline your kids while angry. You'll produce bitterness and wrath in them. They'll see discipline as something not that's redemptive and formative. They'll see it as punitive. Third thing, comparing them to others. Well, you know, your brother, I mean, could you imagine being Jesus' sibling? <laughs> you know, his half-brother didn't believe until he saw Jesus said, put your, you know, look, put your hands right here on my side. Look at those things. He didn't believe. It. I just had to think that I'm just speculating, spitballing here, that maybe, listen, you grew up the whole time, and the parents are like, Jesus never disobeys. Jesus' room is always clean. It's like, because he's God, right? (laughs) Listen to what Priolo writes about comparing your children. Proper biblical comparisons should be made in the following two directions. Forward, by comparing the child where they are today, compared to biblical standards of maturity that we expect, because parents should have expectations. And backwards, by comparing where they are in the Lord today, and look how far you've come. I'm so proud of you. Here's a fourth way, and this is a big one. I'm going to try not to get too stirred up child-centered home. If you're listening, say amen. We are living in a cultural moment where we think we're going to warp our kids if they don't get to take advantage of every experience and do everything. Can I share with you the exact opposite is true. The surest way to warp your kids is to organize uh, your life around their wants and desires which conditions them to think that in fact the world revolves around them and is there to serve their pleasures and then when they get out in the real world and find out that's not true they're going to be some angry folks here's some warning signs of a child-centered home i'm going to give you three all right number one out of control schedule you know why you're so excited let's just be honest you know one of the most encouraging exciting unexpected phone calls to get as a parent it's from a coach who says I cancelled practice (laughs) praise God amen prayer works I mean, out of control, we're we're all over the place. We never eat dinner together. We're just out of control. Well, my kid, they want to do this. I don't want to miss out. I want those kind of things. Listen, uh, that is an out of control schedule. You're not observing the principles of margin, Sabbath rest that God has required of us to function and to flourish. And an out of control schedule. Oh, my kids want to do this. They're involved in this. All those kind of things. Listen, parents, it's okay to say, hey, we're not doing that. God's placed you as an agent of authority In that home, you can say no. Out of control schedule, secondly, running out of money all the time because of their activities. I've been shocked over the years the amount of debt parents have gotten into to finance a lifestyle for a seven year old. Here's the third one this is a big one I'm gonna have to letting your children decide which church you're gonna attend. 60% 60% of parents surveyed said our family would switch churches if my kid wanted to go to a different youth group. I'll let you in a little secret. God has not designed the org chart in your home for a 14-year-old to decide where your family is going to be spiritually fed and discipled. You know the best children's and youth ministry in the whole world? A well-discipled parent. Now, it shouldn't be the absence of student ministry or children ministry. We want to do all things with excellence. But listen, a 14 or 15 year old is not in charge spiritually in your home. That is a child centered home, and it will provoke your children to wrath. He says, Do not do that. The world is not designed to work that way. And when their hearts are broken because they figure that out, they're going to be some angry folks out in the world. So, what should we do? And I got to hurry. So, two things go back to verse four. Let's let the text inform us, all right? So, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Intentionally, unintentionally, secondly, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Let me, me, for the sake of time, make this really quick. Discipline is loving correction after an action has been taken. The purpose of discipline is training in righteousness. That's what discipline actually is. It's modeling for our children what the Lord does for us. Say, hey, I love you too much to let you go your own way, so let me just uh, provide some discipline uh, on the back end and say, this is not the way the Lord is. That's why we felt these consequences. The word uh, instruction or admonition, some of your Bibles are teaching, that's a uh, warning on the front end. He's saying, hey, as a parent, this is your job, don't provoke him to wrath. And your job as the agent of authority is to provide correction and discipline, motivated by love, not punitive, not shameful, not critical. It is redemptive. I know you're sharing this with me because you love me. You've displayed that, and so I want better for you. So this is what the Lord wants for you, and I want for you. And and on the front end, uh, let me provide some instruction or some warning because I love you too much to let you go your own way. That's what those verses mean. Now, let me just say this as well. Here's a little nugget, all right? So here's, uh, listen, when it comes to discipline, mom and dad, make sure that you're equal opportunity employers. You know why? Because you want your children to associate discipline with a biblical principle, not with a personality. Equal opportunity employers. We both discipline you because we both love you too much to leave you to foolishness. This is not about a personality, my mom's angry, my dad's angry, they're the heavy, they're the kind of no. This is about the Lord and glorifying the Lord in our parenting and in our home. Now, we wrap it all up with this. You cannot do this in your house apart from Jesus. Now, that sounds cliche, and frankly, it sounds naive because Jesus never had any kids. So why would I say that? Because your only hope for your family to work in the way that God has designed it to work, if I go all the way back to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15, is to live the Spirit-filled life, to pursue intimacy with Jesus as my primary parenting responsibility. Because if I don't pursue intimacy with Jesus, I'm not living the Spirit-filled life. If I'm not living the Spirit-filled life, then I'm never going to be able to live out these things in the power and the confidence of my flesh. Matter of fact, listen to John six sixty-three: The Spirit gives life, and the flesh is no help at all all. Willpower in your parenting will not cut it. You cannot do this apart from Jesus as the center of your life. And mom and dad, you cannot pass down what you do not possess. And so if you don't know Jesus, I'm going to give you a chance to meet him right now. Would you bow your heads this morning? With your head bowed this morning, I want to ask you the single most important parenting question anyone will ever ask you. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Apart from Christ ruling and reigning in your hearts, apart from pursuing intimacy with him, you cannot pull this off in the power of your flesh. You cannot parent for the glory of God in your own willpower. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And the answer is no. I want to urge you to receive him today, not so you can become a better parent, but so you can know and have a relationship with Jesus, who is a perfectly obedient son, living in submission to a loving father. And so if you've never received Jesus Christ, would you pray right now? Confess your sins. Would you declare that Jesus Christ died on the cross, was buried, and rose the third day? So that you could be reconciled back to God through faith in Jesus. Would you pray right now and receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? For those of you who are walking with the Lord, I just want to ask you this question Have you departed from God's good design for your family in some way? Dads, are you leading with anger or control? Moms, are you letting dad do all the discipline? Mom and dad, are you pursuing Jesus as the primary passion of your parenting, the spirit-filled life? If the answer is no, I'm not trying to guilt anybody. If the answer is no, I'm going to encourage you to do this instead. Don't leave here guilty. Leave here forgiven. Confess that to the Lord Repent of that and say, Lord, by faith, I'm gonna let your word and your word alone guide me as a parent. Lord, by faith, I'm gonna make Jesus the center of my parenting for the glory of God. Lord, in my parenting, help me bring you glory. And the good news is the Bible says this. If you'll confess and repent of that, then the good news is this where it abounds, grace abounds much more. You can leave here forgiven. For the glory of God in your parenting. Would you do that right now by faith? Father, parenting is incredibly hard. Incredibly hard. But Lord, you've not left us without hope. You've given us your word to provide guardrails and wisdom. Not advice, but wisdom. More importantly, you've given us Jesus. Who modeled what it's like to be an obedient son living in submission to a loving father. And so, Lord, help Jesus be the primary passion in our parenting. Help us to parent, not in such a way that what others would look at us and we'd get glory, help us to parent for the glory of God. And so, Lord, from this day forward, no matter what mistakes we've made in the past, from this day forward, may every child leave their home saying, I don't know if my parents did everything right, but, man, they love Jesus. And they modeled what it looks like to live for his glory. And God, while we fall short, help us. We are desperate and needy people. And you're available. And so it's in your name we pray. Amen.